Can you imagine what a moment that must have been as they sat there in the room and had been talking about since June 7th of 1776, talking about what freedom would look like. And can you imagine what it must have been like to be in that room and to be talking about it, but now there's a vote that happens. And on July 4th, 1776, these men voted to declare independence from the tyranny of Great Britain. And here we are, 243 years later, celebrating the freedom that they had enough foresight to realize that we needed. Amen? Can you imagine that moment? Now, 11 years later, let's fast forward 11 years. In June of 1787, a group of men, some of the same men, sit down and over a six-week period, they wrote what we know as the Constitution of the United States. And I want to read a small piece of that, and you tell me what part of the Constitution this is. Listen to this. It says this. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. What is that? What part, what, what part of the Constitution is that? Somebody said it. It's the preamble. Now, it's interesting when you look at the Constitution and you do any background and research, what you find out is that the freedom that on July 4th, 1776, I mean, I can, wasn't it a bit eerie to just feel the silence in that room as they realized we just did this? We, we just said no more to Great Britain. And we declared our I mean, that was a moment. And then these, some of these same men sit down, and now that we have this freedom they began to write this document called the Constitution that began to tell us what does that freedom look like? How are we to live in that freedom? But the very beginning of the Constitution, there's something called the preamble. Now, here's why the preamble is important. The preamble is the lens that which the whole Constitution is to be read. When you read the Constitution, you're to read it through the lens that we are here to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense. I mean, you go on and on and on. The preamble is the lens that we are to read the entire Constitution. Now, here's why that's important for us today. Not that I want you to read the Constitution or go back and look at the preamble, but the reason that's important for us today is I believe in Scripture we have a preamble as followers in Christ. But there's a preamble that we need to look at today and understand the magnitude of that because this preamble is the lens that we're to read all of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians today. We're going to step out of Matthew for one week. But Galatians chapter 5, let me read this one verse. Here is our Christian preamble. I encourage you to underline it, circle it in your Bible. Is this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's our preamble. For freedom, not because we're great, not because we're awesome, not because we work for it. For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. That's our preamble. Now, here's what I mean. It's that verse that all the scripture should be looked through. That is the lens that we're to read all the Bible. For example, the Old Testament is all about the one who was coming to set us free. The gospel is all about the one who has come and he will set us free. And the rest of the New Testament is about how we are to live within that freedom. See, all of scripture should be looked through the lens of our preamble for 
freedom. Christ has set us free. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, do you know that you are free in Christ? Do you really know that? And see, most of us, we say, okay, I know that, but what does that mean? Well, let me tell you a couple of things that means. To say that we're in free in Christ means at least four things. And we could come up with many, many more, but let me give you four things just real quickly. First of all, it means we are free from the mindset of the law. See, the Old Testament law was never designed as something to be done in order to earn favor with God. The Old Testament law was always designed for God's people to obey it because that's what holiness looked like. Right? If you want to be holy before God, children, honor your father and your mother. If you want to be holy before God, don't go kill your neighbor. If you want to be holy before God, don't covet. I mean, the law, all the law was given as a means to what holiness looked like. But it's the religious leaders that came along and said, no, no, no. It's not just about holiness. You must keep the law and you must do the law in order to earn favor and merit and salvation with God. See, when you're free in Christ, we are free from that mindset of the law. We don't live under that mindset anymore. We're free from that. We're also free from the power of sin. You know, before we knew Christ, sin reigned in our life. We were under the influence and the power of sin in our life. But when we said yes to Christ, we are free from the power of sin. Sin has no control over you anymore. You are not bound by sin anymore. You are free from the power of sin. We're also free from the bondage of sin. Do you know how sin keeps us in bondage? With two words, guilt and shame. Right? Come on, some of you know that. Because there's some guilt and shame in your life, and you're being in bondage from that old life, that old sin. Listen to me. When you said yes to Christ, what you were saying yes to is that he took your guilt. He took your shame. And you're free from that. You're free from the bondage of sin. But here's the best news that Patrick talked about a while ago. We are free from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? Death. For the wages of sin is what? Death. And we are free from that penalty. And that penalty is condemnation. But if you know Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer condemned. You have been forgiven. We're free. We are free from the mindset of the law. We are free from the power and the penalty of sin. And we are free from the bondage of sin. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you're free. No, no, come on. Say, you're free. Now, listen to me. Please hear me today. Before we go any further, we have to understand, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been set free. You've been set free. You're not under the law. It's grace. You're not under the power of sin. You've been set free from that. You're not under the bondage. He took your shame. He took all that from you. And we are free from the consequences. Now we don't face condemnation. We face glory. Because we've been set free. And we are free to live the abundant life that Jesus talked about. And we are free to live our lives in a way where we are loving God and we are loving people. And so Paul, out of this church of Galatia, he tells them this great preamble. Hey, listen, church, for freedom's sake, Christ, not your works, Christ has set you free. And for all of us, and we don't do it right now, but for all of us, that should be a moment of great jubilation. That should be a moment of great celebration that I was dead in my sins, but Jesus has set me 
free. Do you believe that this morning? Man, I hope you do. Now, Paul, writing to this church, understood something about them, and I think consequently understands something about us, that we struggle in our freedom. So look what Paul says in the rest of verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Here's what Paul says. You're free in Christ. Because of what Christ has done for you, not because of what you've done, but for freedom's sake, Jesus has set you free. Celebrate that. And be excited about that. He says, but stand firm in that freedom. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to being a slave to sin. Now, why would Paul tell a church not to go back to a yoke of slavery? I mean, it's almost like someone who was in prison or incarcerated for something, and then they say, hey, you're free, but they say, no, I'd rather go back and live in prison. Would that make any sense? Would anybody want to do that? No. But that's what Paul's talking about. You've been set free, believers. Celebrate that. Stand firm in that. And whatever you do, don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Here's why Paul would say that, is because we do that. We do that. Many of us in the room today are followers of Jesus, maybe most of us, and we are free in Christ, but yet we sometimes go back to the yoke of slavery. We sometimes go back and yet let sin live and reign and rule in our lives through habits, addictions, choices. But worse than that, some of us go back to that old mindset that somehow I've got to keep the rules and I've got to keep the law to somehow earn favor and merit with God so that I can truly be saved. Some of us fight that. So Paul says, listen, you're free. Don't go back. Don't go back to slavery. But what Paul knew is what we know. We oftentimes do that, don't we? We oftentimes go back and let sin reign. Sometimes we go back to that mindset, I know I'm saved by grace, but sometimes I feel like I need to do in order to gain your favor. I need to do in order to gain, uh, you know, some, some, some blessing. I need to do, Lord, in order to truly be one of yours. We fight that mentality. So here's what Paul does. Paul lays down a reality for trusting a works-based salvation or a merit-based favor with God. Look what he says in verse 2. He says this, and, and listen, I love Paul because Paul pulls no punches. Paul just lays it out. I mean, so when he says you're free in Christ, that's a celebratory comment he made. And this challenge about not going back, he's challenging the church. You're free. Live like it. Act like it. Stand firm in it. We'll talk about that in a minute. Whatever you do, don't go back. But Paul knows the church and he knows us and he knows that sometimes we're going to go back. Amen to that? How many of you can say you've gone back before? We do, right? So listen to what Paul says. He lays out the reality of trusting that works-based mentality of salvation. Verse 2, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. If you're going now, circumcision was, was their way in the New Testament that that was kind of the thing with the law they held on to. Circumcision in the Old Testament was the way that you would differentiate Israel from all the other nations. It was a point of separation like baptism is for us in the New Testament. Now, this issue of circumcision was a big struggle for the early church. In fact, Peter himself in Galatians 2, Paul rebukes Peter because Peter's going around to the non-Jewish people going, if you really were going to accept it and saved and you really want to love Jesus, you also have to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, you're wrong. 
So what Paul is telling this church is, listen, if you're going to hold on to the law, if you're going to hold on to it, Jesus is of no value to you. Now, did you hear that? If you're going to cling to the law that says, I must do, I must perform in order to be in favor with God or in order to even be saved, I must do these things, then Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection is worthless. That's what you're saying. How many of us want to say that? How many of us want to stand up and go, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is of no value? Do we, anybody else want to say that? But by going back, that's exactly what we're saying, right? And look what he says in verse 3. I love this. Verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision or things of the law that he is obligated to keep the what? The whole law. So if you're going to cling to the law, as your way to earn favor and merit and salvation from God. Here's the news. You better keep the whole dadgum thing. And guess what? You can't do it. Only one perfect man ever lived. But if you're going to cling to that law, and you're going to bind yourself to that law, and you're going to say, that's how I earn salvation and favor from God, you better keep the whole thing. And by the way, that's not going to happen. And then he says this, and this is the most powerful passage in Galatians 5. Look at me in verse 4. He says this. And we're going to have to unpack this a minute. He says, therefore, you are, what? Severed from Christ. Now, think about that word for a minute. What does severed mean? Cut off. Separated. Look what he says here. Therefore, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now, let me tell you what he's talking about here. He's saying, if you're going to cling to the law as your way to earn your salvation, you better keep the whole law, which, by the way, is impossible. And in doing so, in trying to keep the law and trying to earn your salvation, you are separating yourself from Christ. You are severing yourself from Christ. He says, if you're going to go down that path, ultimately, you are fallen from grace. Now, that word phrase, fallen from grace, does not mean anybody lost of salvation. I just want to clear that up this morning. That is not clear. That is not what it's teaching at all. There's no continuity of that mindset in Scripture. So fallen from grace is not you were once saved and now you're lost. That's not what Paul is saying. If you're with me, say Amen. See, here's the phrase, falling for grace, it means you have let go of or you have rejected is what it means. So what he's saying is some of you who are clinging to the law, who have to keep the whole law now, basically what you're doing is you are separating yourself from Christ because you are rejecting grace for the law. Now, what's Paul's point? You can't live in both worlds. You can't live in a world where you're trying to keep the law and are in favor with God and yet claim grace. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And if you do that, you are separating yourself from Christ. You are letting go of the grace that you've been given. You're rejecting the grace that he offers. Now, let me tell you why this is so important in this context and for us today. This powerful words in verse 4 is amazing words for knowing the believer, but also the non-believer. Now, follow me for a moment. For non-believer, those in the church of Galatia that maybe weren't followers of Jesus, like today, maybe there's some of you here today that are not followers of Christ. Here was the message that Paul was trying to communicate in this passage of Scripture. If you're going to choose the law as a means to be right with God, you are saying that Jesus is of no value. His life, death, and resurrection meant nothing. And consequently, now you're bound to keep the whole law, which you can't do. And when you choose to cling to the law, oh, by the way, You're separating yourself from Christ, and you're rejecting his grace. 
So in other words, if you don't know Christ today and you're going to choose the law as your means to get to the Heavenly Father, you are condemning yourself. That's what he's saying. But what about the believer, right? Because that's who he's talking to, isn't it? He's talking to the believer. He's talking to the one who says, look, you're free in Christ. Stand firm in that. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. So how does this relate to a believer? Let me tell you. When we choose to keep and think that we've got to do in order to be right with God and, and have merit and favor with God and be, even be saved, when we choose that path, we are dishonoring Jesus and what he's done for us. We are dishonoring that. And ultimately, we are letting go of the grace that we received just to take up some rules and regulations. Now, I don't know about you, but when I choose to go back to the yoke of slavery, I typically don't think about what I'm doing to the name of Christ. When I let sin reign and rule in my life, or sometimes I battle that mindset that I must do and perform in order to be right with God, I forget what it really the implication is. And Paul says, if you're a believer, you need to understand the implication. When you do that, you're dishonoring the name of Christ. When you do that, you're letting go of the grace you've received, and you're picking up this law. And I'm going to add what I think Paul would add in here if he was writing today. Stop it. Why? Because you're free in Christ. Act like you're free. Quit acting like slaves. Now think about that statement for a minute. If you're free in Christ and you're going back to the yoke of slavery, what good is your freedom? Come on, what good is your freedom? It's not. Then Paul says something in verse 6 before we wrap, or begin to move on. Look what he says in verse 6. Paul just kind of lays it out. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Here's what Paul is saying. Our freedom is found in faith in Christ, not by keeping the law. Are you with me on that one? Our freedom is found because the faith we put in Christ, not because we keep the law. We are free. And that's time to live like it. Time to live like it. And then Paul adds a little something here. Skip down to verse 13 with me, because Paul adds a little something here about our freedom in Christ. He says, where you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom in an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, don't abuse your freedom. Don't keep on sinning. You were set free from the rules, not the responsibility of your life. See, for those of us that are free in Christ, we are still called to live responsible in that freedom. Now, Here's what Paul does, and we're going to get to the very end of this passage, which I love. Paul is setting everything up. Paul starts off with this preamble of faith. You're free because of Christ, not you. You're free. So stand firm in that freedom, and don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Then he spends these verses talking about what going back will do for us, and then he comes to this moment where he tells us how do we stand firm in the freedom we have? How do we keep from going back? Because if you're like me, when I read scripture, I want to know how. I hear you, Paul. How do I do that? How do I stand firm in the freedom I have? How do I keep from going back to the yoke of slavery or sin raising rules or I get that mindset of I've got to do in order to be safe? I mean, how do I keep from going back? Paul tells us in chapter, in chapter 5, verse 16. Skip down to verse 16. And it says this. But I say, this is a continuation of everything he's already said. But I say, walk by the Spirit 
And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now here is what Paul is saying. If you want to stand firm in your faith and you want to keep from going back to the yoke of slavery, here's what you do. You walk by the Spirit. Well, that's clear as mud, isn't it? Right? You walk by the Spirit. Well, let me kind of unpack that for you. Here's the implication here. When you said yes to Christ, what was one of the first things that happened to you? There's a lot of things the moment you trusted Christ happened. But here's one thing. You are now indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The presence of God is with us. Amen? Now, that Holy Spirit has a job. He has a role in our lives. One of those responsibilities is that he is to guide us. When we are faced with choices and decisions, we feel that nudging, that prompting of the Holy Spirit to do certain things. And sometimes we obey and sometimes we rebel. But it's his job to guide us. Another thing the Holy Spirit to do is to conform us into the image of Christ. The more we read scripture and the more we pray, say, Lord, help me understand how I'm to live my life. He is conforming us to what it means to look like Jesus. But you know something else the Holy Spirit is to do? Is to convict us of sin. Do you remember when you were a kid and your mom said no cookies? And you stuck your hand in the cookie jar? And maybe with a ruler or my mom used a fly swat, they whacked you on the back of the hand? Anybody remember that? You ever had that happen? Or was I the only kid that disobeyed? Okay. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. When we choose sin and a path of sin and to do things we shouldn't do, we feel something inside of us called the prompting of the Holy Spirit going, don't do it. Don't do it. It's wrong. Don't do it. See, listen, if we're going to walk by the Spirit, here's what that means. It means living a life yielded to the authority and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit, is that I'm yielding my life, and I'm going to live under the authority and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to let him convict me when he wants to convict me. I'm going to let him to guide me as he wants to guide me. I'm going to let him to conform me as he wants to. I'm even going to allow him to empower me to do the work that I can't do on my own. Why? Because I'm yielded to the authority and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Now, here's the interesting thing Paul says. When we walk by the Spirit... When we live a life yielded to the authority and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We stop pursuing things to gratify the flesh, right? That becomes not the number one thing on our agenda is to satisfy our flesh. In fact, when we do that, we also stop pursuing and, and kind of kill out this mindset that I must perform in order to be accepted by God. Why? Because I'm walking by the Spirit. Now, some of you might say to yourself, okay, well, Doug, how do I know if I'm really living a life yielded to the authority and leadership of Christ. Well, Paul tells us, look at me in verse 19. He says this, if you're with me this morning, say, I'm with you. And I tell you, this is good stuff because we are free, but some of us are living like slaves. It's time to stop and to celebrate the freedom we have, live like freed people so that a broken and a lost and a world in bondage can see our freedom and they can want it too, right? He says this in verse 19. Here's how you know, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, anger, uh, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, this is what it looks like when you're seeking to, to satisfy the desires of the flesh. That's what's in your life. But then he says this. If you're really walking by the Spirit, here's what this looks like. But the fruit, not plural, fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no what? Law. Nothing. So here's my question. Which one most reflects your life? 19 through 22? Or verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit. That's how we know if we're walking by the Spirit. That's how we know if we're living a life yielded to the authority and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Which one of these two descriptions reflects us? There's one more thing he says about if we're going to stand firm in our freedom. First of all, walk by the Spirit. Secondly, he says this in verse 25 and 26. He says this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also what? Keep in step with the Spirit. So it's not just about walking by the Spirit. Secondly, we must keep in step with the Spirit. If we are going to stand firm in the freedom we have, and we're not going to go back to the yoke of slavery, we have to walk by the Spirit, live a life yielded to the authority and leadership of the Holy Spirit, but we also have to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I'm going to ask a really non-Baptist question real quick. You okay with that? How many dancers do I have in the room today? All right, some of you, all the men are like, nope, not me. Nope, not me. How many showered? No, I'm just kidding. So you like dancing, right? So when I think of this keeping in step with the Spirit, I think about dance. Now, not that I was ever a dancer, because I, I took camp dance when I was a kid, uh, which if you want to make fun of me that, I'm going to punch you in the throat. So um, I won't also tell you I took ballet, but that was because of Herschel Walker. And so uh, if you ever see pictures, we're, we're not going to be friends anymore. But anyway, um, I think of dance. I love the show America's Got Talent. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. And I'm not a big fan of the dancers that come on there. But here's what I know. When they have these groups of like 70 people and they do these rhythmical dances, it's amazing, isn't it? Now, if one person's out of rhythm, you know it, don't you? Like, oh, that person, they should fire that guy, right? Or ballroom dancing. Like you see that sometimes on America's Got Talent where they're dancing. And, they're, and when a man and a woman are dancing together, there's just a beauty to the rhythm of what they're doing. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to live a life where you're in harmony and rhythm with the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what I want you to do. How do we do that? I can tell you how. By every day surrendering our lives to Christ. Every day saying, Lord, this day belongs to you. I belong to you. How can I do what can I do? I want to live in rhythm with you, Lord. Can I tell you also how to do it? Every day, invest in this word. The only way to stay in rhythm with the Holy Spirit is to know what God wants for us and how God wants us to act and do things. Can I tell you something else we need to do? Is every day, commune with our Heavenly Father. Pray. Seek His face. Ask Him how He wants us to handle situations and circumstances. Can I tell you another way we need to do this? Is by every day celebrating the freedom we have. Because I can, can I just tell you this? Do you know why I think I go back to the yoke of slavery sometimes? It's because I forget the beauty of the freedom that Christ has paid for me. And the moment I forget, I go back. The moment I forget the beauty of what Jesus has done for me on Calvary and rising from the dead, the moment I forget the seriousness of what Christ has done, I always tend to go back. The moment I forget, I go back. You know what the disciples did? Jesus fed 4,000 people one day, and they had all this bread left over, and they get on the boat, and they had one loaf, and they're arguing about who forgot the bread. I'm sure Philip, the youngest, probably got the blame, right? They're arguing, and Jesus said something powerful. Two times he says, don't you remember when I broke the bread? Don't you remember when I 
fed the 4,000. In other words, look, guys, I took five loaves, a couple of fish, and fed thousands. Don't you think I can feed 12 of us with a loaf of bread? Don't you remember? See, what happened is they forgot who they were with, and they went back to their old ways. Are you hearing me this morning? When we forget, we always go back. So how do we stand firm in our freedom? Two things. We walk by the Spirit, yield to His leadership and authority in our life, and we keep in step with the Spirit. We walk in rhythm and harmony with the Holy Spirit. And here's my question for us as believers. If you are free today, are you walking in that freedom, and are you keeping in step with the Lord, or have you gone back to the yoke of slavery? And if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, here's what I want you to know. You will never work hard enough and be good enough to be acceptable in the eyes of God. Never. You will always be in bondage. But faith in Christ can set you free. If you will surrender your life to what Jesus did on the cross and put your faith in him, what the Son has set free will be free what? Indeed. And if you don't know Christ today, it's simply just acknowledging who he is, acknowledging your sinner and saying, Lord, I need you in my life. So for some of us today, maybe the decision that we need to make is we need to give our life to Christ today. Some of us, were not free. We're in bondage, and we need to trust Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, by simply just crying out to him. But then there's some of us in the room today that are believers, and I'm going to ask believers to do three things with me this morning, three things that are crucial for us to do. Here's the first one. First thing I ask you to do is to remember. Would you take a moment and remember how you've been set free? Would you remember that you've been shown grace? You don't have to keep a law. Would you remember that the sin that used to reign and rule in your life, you're free from that? Would you remember the bondage of guilt and shame is no more? Would you remember that you no longer condemned, but you have been forgiven? As a believer, I want to take a moment and remember what Christ has done for us. And then second of all, here's what I want us to do. If we have truly gone back to the yoke of slavery, if you're here today and you're like, I have gone back, I've forgotten and therefore I've gone back, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Secondly, I want you to confess it, I want you to repent of it, and I want you to make a new commitment to the Lord. I want you to confess that you've gone back. I want you to repent and turn from that and say, Lord, today I'm choosing, today I'm committing to walking by the Spirit. Today I'm committing to keeping in step with the Spirit. So remember, make a commitment. And third thing is I'm going to ask you to join me in coming to the Lord's table. See, as we take the Lord's Supper today, in a moment I'm going to pray and you're going to have an opportunity to come and to take the, take the bread and to dip it into the juice. The bread reminds us of the body that was beaten and bruised for us. And the blood reminds us of what the blood that was shed. And without the shedding of blood, there could be what? No forgiveness of sin. But listen, here's why we're taking the Lord's Supper today. It's our response. So when you come and you take the bread and you dip in the juice, I want you to be reminded of the pathway to the freedom that we have. That the freedom that we have came with a high cost. It came at a great price. It came because the only Son of God would come and die on a cross. And I want us taking the Lord's Supper today to be our commitment to remembering and our commitment to truly walking by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. So what I'm going to ask you to do, everybody close your eyes and bow your heads and stand with me if you would. Every head bowed.
and every eye closed. Yeah, every head bowed and every eye closed. Man, there's so much meat today I want you to take home. And for believers, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to realize that Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set me free. That is our preamble. That is the verse that we would interpret all scripture and the lens were to look through it. Jesus has set us free. You did not set yourself free. He set you free. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus in the room today, I'm going to ask you with all of our, would you just take a moment and remember what he's done for you? Would you take a moment and make a new commitment to him, how you're going to walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit? And then only after you've remembered and only after you examined your heart and made a new commitment to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to come to the Lord's table and take the bread and take the juice as a commitment that you've remembered as a commitment of where you're going in your walk and as a celebration of what Christ has done for you. So as I pray in this moment, if you're a believer, when I say, man, just, just hang there for a minute. Take a moment to remember. Take a moment to examine. Then when you're ready, respond by taking the supper. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, would you just acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you're yielding your life to him? And if you were to say, Lord, forgive me my sins, come into my life, be the boss and the master, Scripture says he'll do it. And if you trust Christ today, I'm going to ask you to let me know or take one of those cards and fill out and say, today I gave my life to Christ. But Jesus wants to set you free so you can spend eternity with him. Your eternity hangs in the balance this morning. How will you respond? God, I love you. Well, I feel like I wish we had weeks to unpack chapter 5. There's so much richness there. But Father, I, I pray with all my heart that as believers, we would acknowledge that we have been set free. But we also understand the reality if we go back, what are we saying? How we are dishonoring your name. But Lord, I pray that today we would understand how do we stand firm in that freedom? How do we keep from going back is by walking by your spirit, living a life yielded to your authority and leadership but also by keeping in step with you, by living in rhythm and harmony with your Holy Spirit. God, I know there's some believers in the room that have found their way going back. They have forgotten what you've done for us, and therefore they've reverted to the old self. And today, Lord, I pray for believers. I pray we would remember. I pray we would confess how we've gone back and turn from that. But I pray we would make a new commitment to you to walk by your spirit, and to keep in step with your spirit. And then, God, out of our response, may we take your supper. Lord, we love you. And I pray for those who don't know you, today would be the day they would say yes. God, would you speak to us during this time? For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Believers, take a moment. Just remember. Examine and then you're free to respond.